Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Henry Zabrowski is a force of nature on stage or on screen, Clothes on, or, as the case sometimes is, in the buff. The shine on Zabrowski's star power continues to brighten. From his earliest appearances in web videos for College Humor and his own group Murder Fist, through the Adult Swim series Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, VH1's Best Week Ever, a supporting role on the big screen in The Wolf of Wall Street, and as one of the 12 angry men in the Emmy-winning sketch series Inside Amy Schumer. Zabrowski now stars as one of eight comedians given free reign to sculpt their own Netflix special for The Characters. So let's get to it! Right. Pink pink little digit there. So So that's you as well. So we're not here to talk about me. We're here I'm to sorry. talk about you. We have the same we're very similar bodies. <laughs> we probably have very similar penises as well. And I'm so, that's the truth. Different color hair though. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, mine's flaming red. <laughs> I'd like the problem child turn upside down if the problem child's nose was a penis. Yes. So I've seen you naked on stage mm-hmm. and now naked on screen in your new Netflix. Spoiler alert, Henry Zabrowski gets naked in his first ever Netflix special. That's very strange Like that I would. You know what I mean? Because it's not like I'm some twisted exhibitionist as I've, many a therapist has told me I am. Well, when was the first time you got naked in public? I was actually very uh, insecure about it uh, for a long time. When I was a kid, you know, I was one of those kids that would wear a shirt into the pool. Mm -hmm. Like, I'd go to day camp, and I I had an incident where a bunch of kids in day camp pushed me down because they were making fun of me um, wearing a shirt in the pool. And I went to the men's room with everybody. There's, like, a locker room where everybody's getting all dried up, which is that strange scenario where they make a bunch of boys get naked of various ages, like, right on top of each other. And um, they thought it was funny to push me down to the ground, strip me fully nude, um, and laugh at my nude member, laugh at my body. And that memory features back into a lot of my later work. Um, and it wasn't until I got to college. Up until then, I had been very afraid about being nude. I didn't want to show anybody my body or my right. belly because I've also had back hair since I was like about 10 or 11. Like full full back hair. That's early. I am incredibly covered with hair. I have literally very few patches of me that have no hair on my body. But people with back hair, that's normally a late adult You're development. Right. <laughs> You're right. Very much so. Yes. But sometimes it happens to a, a boy <laughs> from Queens. And what does it do to him? Makes him this person. Yeah. This is what it does. And so in college, we used to, first time my, my sketch group, Murder Fist, was, we would do these shows. Mm-hmm. And the newest member to the group would have to wear a diaper and no clothes on uh, during a performance. And my first show, I did it. And the reaction I got to my body was so strong and powerful in terms of people laughing at it mm-hmm. that I used it from then on. And then I was fully nude for the first time. I did nude improv in New York City um, with a group called Naked Boys Improvising in like 2008. 
And then I we about the same time we were doing the nude sketch for Murder Fist that we re- adapted into the Netflix special. So that initiation into Murder Fist in college, that was the first time you you were able to channel that laughter into positive. Basically, yeah, I learned to I learned to flip it. I learned to then enjoy my body and mm-hmm. embrace it. And I it was very interesting. I started like getting laid. Once I started being nude on stage, I was very, very large. I was almost 300 pounds. And yeah, you it, do look felt now I've, compared to when I first met you. I've been working out. I'm working out. I'm sick of being in pain. Um, I like. I move faster now. I jump higher. Um, I don't need to for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> I'm not a volunteer fireman. But it's a nice feeling to jump in the air. It's really nice. Whether it's for a Toyota commercial in the 1980s or... Just whatever. Wherever. For if I'm going to be in a New York Lotto commercial. Oh, yeah. That'll be that'll happen. You have to jump in here for a lot of those bullshits for some reason. You've done commercials, haven't you? Mm-hmm. What uh, was your first one? First one was um, I did. It was for the NCAA basketball video game, basketball or football. I had to cha- shave my chest. Mm-hmm. And the commercial was is that I was so large when they painted my chest, when they checked underneath my tits, there was no paint. So, mm, comedy acting <laughs> is special. We are special who do it. We are chosen, privileged people. So this goes back to your childhood when people would get you naked and laugh at you. Yes. And that was painful at the time. Deeply humiliating. So what did you think about comedy as a profession if I had to do it? I literally was I've, I've always been this way. I was always joking as a child. Mm-hmm. You, I learned early when you're fat. Young, I learned early that humor, and you have to engage somebody in a way, and it's either being attractive. We well, have to be attractive in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And so, but being being smart in class didn't really give me what I wanted, what I craved, what the dark hole inside of me needed. And so, I just immediately became sort of a class clown. I think that's a pretty common story. And then Chris Farley made it very possible for me to do what right. I do. And then I would do stuff like I would be taken out of class because I would do the Matt Foley speech. And then my vice my vice principal loved it so much that he would take me from class to class and I would do it and get out of, get out of, get out of the end of the day. And also I would, certain teachers would give me time at the end of each class to talk at the class, to do stand up, to get me to uh, shut up. That's a very, it's a very early inspirational kind of, that's what I've always message. It's like, oh, this uh, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Oh, I was compl- I had completely just positive, just thumbs up. Yeah, of being like, do that. I mean, it got me constantly in trouble. But then I began to learn at some point. Oh, if you're funny, you can get away with murder. You can do whatever you want as long as you're vaguely funny in school, at least. And and this was in Queen. You said growing up in Queens. Grew up in Queens, and then I went to school in Florida. Yeah. So if you're growing up in Queens and you're already a budding com- comedy star in your school. Was this a regular public school or a magnet school? Or? I did. In high school, it was a magnet school. I did the IB program. Mm-hmm. We were told we were some of the elites. Some of our teachers told us that in society, when they choose to finally kill the poor, this is true. They said that when they choose to kill the poor, we will be of the elite class that will be chosen to, like, basically... When we leave Earth to go to the next exoplanet, um, when this is all dead right. and we leave the poor people who can't afford the privatized like spaceship tickets, right. we'll be included on the privatized Wasn't spaceships. that a Matt Damon movie? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. But then, yes. But my story had no exoskeletons. <laughs> and I did it as a kid. I was like, what about exoskeletons? And they're like, fuck you. Shut up. Shut up. You're still you're cute, though. 
So why deep kisses? So why, if you've already kind of got this positive reinforcement, you're in New York City? Why Florida State? I have no, I have no choice. How did you? I almost didn't go to college. I almost didn't do anything. I didn't give a shit. I was just being funny in high school, and then mm-hmm. I got up because I was in this highly academic, highly aggressive academic program. I got like a full ride to Florida State, and so I just went out of laziness, out of just like I just I was like okay. I guess I'll go here. Wait, so you were recruited? No. no. I auditioned for the BFA program, and I did not get in mm-hmm. for theater, because I did theater in high school, Okay. Um, because they told me I wouldn't be cast. They told me I would never work. But then when I went into the BFA program, when I started auditioning for plays, I got I got cast for every single play. My sweet revenge. Is that where Burt Reynolds? Mm-hmm. I, he slapped my friend Nick Chavarella. They did a class, Florida State acting program. They did a lot of like, for some reason, a lot of the teachers did a lot of like, I don't believe you. And they would slap you (laughs) and everybody was getting slapped. I had a chair thrown at me. Um, It's something about that. We got nude a lot. There was a lot of like weird. That's also kind of that got in there, too, where there's a lot of like I had to do a scene from the play Frankie and Johnny in the Clear to Loon. Mm -hmm. And my acting teacher, it was just one of my mentors, this amazing guy named George Judy would do this thing where he'd crouch, and he was, like, cl- pushing 300 pounds. Huge man. He'd crouch, he'd sweat, would, like, fall off his forehead, and it just slap the floor, like, as we were f- watching us. Right. He made me and my partner strip down to our underwear. And he was like, okay, now what I want you to do is I want to take your hands, and I want you to... I want you to feel up along her legs, and I want you to go up her thigh and up her torso and feel her animus. Feel the energy coming off her. And the whole time I'm just like, is this going to get me an A? Am I beating acting right now? This doesn't sound like an acting class. This sounds like something else. It was after, it was at 10 o'clock at night at his house. (laughs) His kids were watching. He woke them up to watch it. Is there something about doing the tomahawk chop all the time that makes people aggressive? Want, you know, want to sla- slap people so. or, or so. order people to get naked? What's happening? It's like the fury of the the Native American jumps into the hands of the white man there, <laughs> because people are pretty upset about us having that Native American guy, the white guy that we paint brown before yes. the football games. I think for a while he was a real Indian, but. We stopped hiring them because they just, they just don't stop showing up. Oh, man. <laughs> it's really sad. So I you, actually don't know any of that. I don't know if any of that's true or not. Well, what is true is that you thought you were going to be an actor. Yes. Well, I thought I was going to be. I, I didn't know what I was going to be. We just moved. We Murder Fist, my sketch group, started at Florida State, and we all moved up here. But how did you fall in with that crowd literally just started doing no i was good i was gonna i was in acting classes right and were they um, all in the acting classes yes yeah they were all in various different sides of the uh theater program Mm -hmm. and they saw me do a 24-hour play where we wrote it over 24 hours and it was just me doing a monologue as a a kid show host that had an entire audience of kids uh, hostage with a gun and it was me having a mental breakdown on live on camera and they saw that my two of my buddies that started the only improv troupe at Florida State at the time, a thing called Oncoming Traffic. I don't know if it's still there or not. And they like recruited me, and we just started doing sketch together. It turns out we all independently had the same idea that we were all we were all big Mr. Show and Kids in the Hall fans, and of course Saturday Night Live from the '90s, and that we just kind of all wanted to do sketch. 
So we've been and, doing it ever since. And was there a lot of other comedy going on at Florida State? None. I, like, literally none. There was a group before us that did it, like a group of seniors, like two classes before, that had done it. They started doing shows in the parking lot of this place where Holden McNeely, who helped me write my Netflix special, was also in Murder Fist. He lived in this house called the House of Chaos. Okay. That was this place. It was just this destroyed apartment building that we just fucking did so many drugs in and just all the windows were kicked out and everything and we would do shows in the parking lot in front of the building and that's that's where that started okay yeah so we all found each other that way and we all just, just a bunch of lunatics yeah and just wanted to write sketch we all just kind of assumed that's what sketch groups did they just kind of formed and we all just joke around enough and they're like we should just do sketch and it kind of just happened naturally and then the move to New York also happened naturally which is like well where do we go it's like all the best comedy in the world's in New York there was two seconds before we thought we almost went to Chicago but we were like no New York is where we belong Los Angeles is for people with fake breasts and New York has got plenty of other slugs just like us and you are also f- and I'm from here. Yeah. here yeah so so that was easy <laughs> That was the easy decision for me. I was ready to come back. <laughs> How many of the other Murder First members were from New York? Just my sister, okay. Jackie Zabrowski. How how did you go about finding a place to perform when you when you move up here on mass? Begged. We showed up. It was time of the towards the end of the Rafifi era of comedy in New York. It was about two thousand. It was two thousand seven. Yeah, two thousand seven and. There were so many independent sketch groups. There were sketch groups everywhere. And we were just kind of digging around. We didn't know what the fuck we did. So we put together this desperate kind of form email. We would write people and just be like, please give us time. We will not disappoint you. Like literally begged. And finally, we maybe hit 10 or 12 different venues. And we're like, we don't know what the fuck to do. Like at one point, we're like, we found a parking. There was a parking lot next to the Kmart. Not Kmart. uh, Next to the C-Town on grand street that's still there but we had talked to the manager about doing a show just in that parking lot and finally galapagos which was a space that's now in dumbo used to be in williamsburg yeah on north seven north six before there was anything there there was nothing there it was just this one bar that would do burlesque sometimes and we got a, a a shot to do it and then we we managed to fill it out with a bunch of other fsu alumni that had come to New York. Essentially, we fooled them to thinking that we had fans right. on the first show, so we packed it out. A bunch of people came, and then they gave us this this what they called us the monthly like residency. It was like we were artists, like resident artists right. or some shit, which was just a lie. They just gave us a monthly slot, and then we were there for about a year, and we just sucked. What was the what was the reception you would get from audiences? Oh God, this was at the time also like probably like. You know, hipsters, the hipster movement in New York has come in like many waves and probably like the first wave died in like 2005. And there was the new wave that kind of came around that time where they decided to be extra, extra, extra hipster. So we would perform because at the time we were more like experimental theater. We would do, um, I'm sorry, just heinously burped into the (laughs) microphone. Um, we would do more like experimental theater with big sets and a lot of costumes and it was very rehearsed and it was very insane, but it was very like, we would like do oceans with moving like cardboard right. waves and shit like that. And hipsters just stared at us. And we knew we sucked. We, because in Tallahassee, when we were doing a Florida state, we were crushing because we were the only comedy group in right. New York. And so in Florida, there was no in reference. Tallahassee, there's no reference. So we were just like, oh, okay, we're, we're going to own New York. <laughs> and then we showed up and 
it was that first wave of, oh, shit, we're at the bottom of a gigantic mountain. And then we just kept moving up. And then uh, we begged, uh, we begged, um, we uh, begged uh, from the risk. We begged uh, Kevin, Kevin Allison. We begged Kel- and then we begged Kevin Allison from the pit. He was the artistic director of the pit. We knew him through mutual people, and he got us a slot at the pit. And then we've literally been performing at the pit for 10 years. About. I mean, about nine years. Yeah, because I remember the first times I saw you guys, you were always part of, like, a larger show. Yes. You, and you guys would be the last act. Pretty because much. Because nobody could follow yes. you. And it was... My first impression of you and Murderfist was very controlled chaos. That's the idea. We were very... We were planned chaos. At the beginning, it was more chaos chaos, mm-hmm. and became more planned as it went. And we... It's 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 interesting as you go. Now we're way more polished than we ever were, and we actually do less rehearsal than we ever did. <laughs> it's just a thing where we're just better at the job now. Right. And but yeah, we that's how we got into the stand up world. We started performing in the stand up world because I mean, first of all, we at the time we were eleven people, so we were half a crowd just by booking us. Um, and then maybe we end up being good in those rooms. We're really good at bar shows. We're really good at basically. What Murderfist is always the, the kind of the motto has become, and also my own personal motto, is that we're great at the hard stuff. We're bad at the stuff that other people find to be really easy, like <laughs> putting together a, a web series or like doing all the things that you, you should, all the business things we were never good at. But you could put us in a fucking U-Haul truck and we'll crush. Like when we did the Red Hook U-Haul like festival, mm-hmm. we were in a moving U-Haul truck doing, and we crushed and it was great. And it's like, because, we we're just good at that. We're right. we're extreme comedians. <laughs> Put you in a tense situation, and you guys and we can do it. We can do whatever. Rise we, of the challenge. We performed in the middle of a punk show in uh, off the Morgan stop before any of that was civilized, and some dudes jumped up on stage in the middle of a tune sketch, and they're screaming at us. It's like it's this huge chaotic thing. And then finally, Ed, who's in Murderfist, who writes with me, wrote wrote the Netflix special with me. He grabs him, he's huge, just lifts him up off the ground, and then dumps a beer all over his head, tosses him back in the audience, and then we got the audience back. That was like how we got him back. <laughs> And then we got to do sketches again. <laughs> At what point did you did you seriously consider doing more solo work? I mean, it just kind of happened even accidentally. There, you know, you work with a bunch of people for so long, you you want to change, right. of course. But we're not even. It's not even that big of a change. I'm still working with the same guys, just in different areas. That's a kind of what we talk about: is how we want to. Always be working together. We love working together. So Murder Fist is its own specific thing. So now, like last podcast on the left, is another offshoot of my brain, and I work with other two close friends. And so now we've been doing that for five years. And this solo show kind of happened accidentally. Like this, this literally happened. Me drunk at a party. I met Kristen Solner. I've known her for years. She's been a really good friend of mine. She started working at Netflix, and she basically just said, like, "What would you do if you were given a character special?" And I hammeredly gave an elevator pitch and she was like okay and then it's six months later i thought that you know i, I assume everything's horseshit i assume right. everyone's lying and then it just kind of it ended up being real but no i i it's I, it's a twofold thing i love murder fist and my place within murder fist is very specific but i i would like to do things on my own where i can have like murder fist is a is a as a socialist group right. we're a communist group there is no leader <laughs> 
know what I mean? Like we decide things by by the group, by majority rules. It's always a, what's the funniest idea on, on anything. No sketch belongs to anybody. There's no we don't put that's why we don't have people's names attached to things. It's all written by Murderfist, created by Murderfist, and. This is something. Um, this was more of an opportunity for me t- to get to be executive producer, which I've always kind of wanted to do. I've wanted to try it. Right. So you know, you have the Netflix special now, but five years ago uh, was I think the first time I saw you. You got to go to Montreal for the first time. They were doing a characters showcase. I think. I think you know a controversial statement I could probably say is that 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 was a consolation prize to Murder Fist not going because we crushed. So hard on our second callback at Montreal. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, basically, they were like, all right, we'll see you in Montreal. Like, it was like one of those, like, afterwards where we were right. like, we did this. We, a whole audience of people had, did not come to see us. Like, we didn't pull any numbers for the callback because it was us and Harvard Sailing Team. And, um, oh, what is the other group with Matt Hobby and Mary Grill who went? They're great, though. They're a really, really good group. Um, oh, shit. My brain. So, too much weed. Yeah. Um, and they, no one had come to see us, but we had won the room, so we got this. And then they were like, afterwards, the final, like, we really wanted you to go, but we really don't think the French will get you. <laughs> and so I ended up going the next time. Uh, I went to do, because I had already auditioned for SNL, and I had a kind of a thing put together, and I'd already been doing solo stand-up pieces, and yeah, that all happened accidentally. That also happened accidentally. With the Saturday Night Live audition? No, the audit, the, the, the Montreal, Montreal thing. Yeah. It's so funny. Nobody ever brings up Montreal. It's, it's like there's no record of that character class, mm-hmm. but I know a bunch of Tim Robinson. That's how I met him. And then Chris Witaski was there that night. Uh, there was a lot of good work. And that's how I met TJ Miller. He, ho- he hosted. Yeah. And he was fucking hilarious. He helped me. He didn't keep, like, I stood in front of him nude because I did my naked piece <laughs> for Montreal. And he was just like, gave me the thumbs up. Just, <laughs> I was like, thank you, TJ. You give me confidence. <laughs> well, he's the kind of guy who would approve that. He gets it. Yeah. yeah he gets it. Yeah. Uh, so at that time, was Saturday Night Live the goal? Oh, for you? my whole life. Yeah. And then uh, it was that thing where we got really close too. And it was kind of like, Holden, Eddie, and I were like kind of talking like we'd be like a package deal. The right. goal was to kind of like sneak murder fists onto Saturday Night Live. That did not happen. Oh, how close did you get? I got pretty close. <laughs> Apparently, I was on the, the the end of the list. I made it through like several mm-hmm. stages of no's. <laughs> and then I got it. But then I, I like I survived waves of no's because right. there was 22 of us that went into that audition. And then the we, audition at 30 Rock or audition yeah, 30 Rock. at yeah, ECB or somewhere? The uh, test. OK. Yeah. So that was that was intense. But there were people on that 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 night that we be, I became friends with for, for forever. And uh, Chris Witaski is hilarious. Um, but that was the night. Uh, and then Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow and I actually talked quite a bit. That he's. Great. I was going to ask who who made it from that. Jay Farrow. Jay Farrow. and uh, Paul Britton. Okay. And Taryn. Taryn Kellum. Yeah. yeah, that was cool. That was a very interesting night. What did you learn from that experience? I was. Uh, what I if I were to redo it, mm-hmm. I would. Uh, what I learned from that. From that thing is that it's about. Um, it's about pressure. Most of show business is about uh, like succeeding in that level and that kind of stuff. Is that it's not really about what you do or how you do it. It's it's how you handle the pressure. Mm-hmm. And that was a specifically that is a specifically made scenario to test you uh, if you can handle doing it. And if I were to do it again, 
I would say I would ignore every single thing that everybody told me to do, and I would have done what I really had wanted to do. Well, I would imagine auditioning for Martin Scorsese is as intense as auditioning for Lauren Michaels. But by then, it was by then I was much less green. Right. Scorsese was easy. That was fucking very easy. We got to I improv in front of Scorsese, and he hired us in the room. Oh wow! So the five of us did a group improv. Barry mm-hmm. Rothbart. We were all literally in the room, <laughs> and we did a group imp- a group improv uh, on phones. And he was like, "Okay, yeah, we'll hire all of them." And we're like, what? Like, that's, that's always like, that's not real. Like, it's like, okay, that didn't happen. That didn't just happen. We're like, whatever. And then we leave and they're like, oh yeah, so the offer's coming in, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? That's great. Because that's real power. That's real power though. Right. He doesn't have to go talk to anybody. No, just goes, that's fine. Yeah. These guys. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we got a short fat. We got an Asian. We got a, we got a long weird head. We got a bald one. Boom. And it was like done. And we were out. And then suddenly you're supporting cast for Leonardo DiCaprio in a Scorsese film. Yeah. I'll never get it back. Oof. So sad. So sad. It was the one of the best times. I think about, you know, when you like look back at something, right. it's like, it was like really one of those times where I didn't really know how fucking cool it was, what I was doing while I was doing it. And now afterwards, I'm being like, go back. Oh, I wish I could turn back the clock and do it again. But the beauty is you have it on, on film. It's I on, do. It's on yeah. digital. It's on various formats. And I have a lot of naughty memories. <laughs> They're pretty great. Well, you know, it's it's a very debauched plot premise. So, and we really did it. Yeah, we did it good. Was it was it your best week ever? Fuck you. <laughs> I liked best week ever. We had fun. You were part of the last cast. Oh of yeah, best week ever. You know what? Last cast. It's gonna come back. Oh man, it's coming back. No way. <laughs> right. Well, what did you? What did you think when you signed on for that? Oh, it was great. I was uh, looking for temp work. Mm-hmm. I had just gotten off a Scorsese film. I could not get arrested. I could not make. I could not book any work. I literally was running out of money, and I had applied for temp work. And then they had floated my name, Nick Turner, and then floated my name to the bosses at Best Week, and they oh, hired wow. me. And so that was like that pulled my ass out of the fire. That job. So I will always like. And honestly, the the talking head experience really helps later on for things like press mm-hmm. and doing dumb like do it like doing talk show stuff like like what going on cameras like the fact that like best week ever was a uh like a little college course on how to talk at a camera for hours saying next to nothing but being entertaining <laughs> and that's all you can do like that's all it is is filling time with sound and like you learn yeah. how to do that and you learn that's a very important skill as an entertainer, what is what is that feeling though when you when you do a huge movie and then you find yourself a few months later signing up for temp jobs? That how do you how do you that is the feeling of show business. That's what it is. How do you process that on a daily basis? You just swallow it really, really hard, and then I can, and then you hope. Now I know mm-hmm. more so that as long as I don't quit. Something will come along. Like right now, I'm unemployed. I don't. I don't really. I don't have a job. It's just like I just came off of two. I'm on two television shows. You know, Heroes Reborn just got canceled, which fine. It's like one of those things where we kind of knew it was. It was supposed right. to get canceled, but 
it's like, like it was like a limited, a limited series return. Yeah, but they don't really. If it was a huge like ratings explosion, they would right. probably would have renewed it. But kind of like with what the X Files is going through right now. Yeah, and they're bringing that back they because see, of the ratings. Because of the ratings. Yeah. Um, I'm still in Pretty Face. Your Pretty Face is going to hell. It's which is going swim. great. Yeah. It's great, but it's like now it's sort of like, well, what else am I going to do? So I'm walking around. I mean, it, this used to be a very scary time, but now you know. If as long as you keep working and be honest and go do do good auditions and I keep writing and I'm writing all the time, mm-hmm. no, it's just like oh, more work will come. That's what it best week taught me. Was you, that? Have you also had to learn the the business end of it just to like space out your finances? I could so be a lot better. So you don't have to worry. No, or? no, I'm horrible businessman. <laughs> horrible with money. I just I'll do whatever. Right. I don't care. I, just, I hate so, it. So, like, you just came from doing a live podcast in Baltimore. Yeah. Did you make money from that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is cool. We made Bedore so money. Were, you were able to Yeah. But, yeah, but then, it's, but then it'll, it'll just be, like, I don't know. I'll just Uber wherever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'll Uber for 15 feet just to do whatever. And then sometimes we're like, we're going Uber black. <laughs> They're like, why? I mean, it's like, I, mean, I already clicked it. And this dude shows up in a fucking Escalade. Right. With like lights on the side of it, so suddenly the two seventy five for a subway versus twenty bucks for an Uber. I mean, not even thinking, not even thinking. Just all the time is bad. I'm very bad at it. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll order fifty dollars worth of food. It's seamless. So fast. Wow. Because I'm broken. <laughs> so I just must feed the feed the beast. But no, I. But yeah, show business. I would say one that is the one feeling. That's the feeling I have learned is has permeated my entire my entire. Small career so far right. is uh, you are on top this week. You will be at the bottom again soon, and it comes again. The bottom comes real fast, and you are again at the bottom of the heap. And then if you play your cards right, you'll be back on top again, and you'll be making money and doing well, and people will like what you do. But you are just literally 30 seconds away from having nothing all the time. And then the next day you're shooting a critically acclaimed Emmy-winning episode of Inside Amy Schumer. Yeah, it's all over the place. It's all over, but that's that's what's interesting. That's what's really cool, and that's what I think is uh, that's what you're signing up for. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of people that get to a certain level of fame, and I think they sort of assume that it's going to kind of be there forever. And I just don't think that's ever true. I think things get recycled pretty fast. So, who along the way has been has been really great in terms of supporting you and giving you advice and counsel and. My parents have always been great, mm-hmm. but they're more just like, oh, we're just surprised <laughs> that this phase is still happening. You know what I mean? Like, that's, a, that's there, but they're very supportive. Um, but in terms of getting advice for your career, as you. Uh, I talk with Dave Willis quite a bit. Dave Willis, uh, who created Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell, who created Aqua Teen Hunger Force, he's, he has become sort of like a mentor of mine that I, I ask him questions about what I'm supposed to do. Like, I asked him about the Netflix special. Like, I brought him the Netflix special, and I was like, please fix this. And he's like, I won't. <laughs> but I'll tell you exactly what's all wrong with it. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, bling, bling, bling. Because he's, um, what I love about him is that he has always taught me, like, uh, the things he say are stuff that uh, we talk about in Murderfist all the time. We're like, no idea is sacred. Uh, you can you he does that thing where it's like to write a sketch or write your screenplay and take out all of the things you like best about it and rewrite it. Um, he uh, is constantly on the fringes of entertainment and he talks a, a lot about sticking to your guns. Like Murderfist, we talk all the, the the statement we always use is that a clock is always a broken clock is always right twice about how like if you just keep to your voice and hone your voice and and 
do something that you feel is right, that you find funny, it will find a home somewhere. Someone will like it because now at this point, you know, you, you, we have enough experience to know that if we find it funny, somebody else right. will find it funny. But Dave Willis is 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 like that because it's like Aqua Teen. It's like we're, we're all. It's very similar. It's like lauded by our generation and just destroyed by every quote unquote important critic. Every person that like wanted to. He's like he and. He's like me, where we're cutters, where we read all the bad reviews too, and like really feel bad about ourselves, about what about the things that we just thought were funny. Right. Because also, what I like about Dave Willis is that he has almost no, he has a healthy, healthy ego because he's you know he's created many things that have formed people like me. Squidbillies is incredible. I love Pretty Face, but he, I don't know, he's got a humiliating. Is that why you have a squid in your special? Maybe. <laughs> I think I just think that this looks like a squirm in flesh pocket. <laughs> That's why. Uh, but no, he's he's great. He's he's very much. Uh, I I like his rebel nature, and that's a thing I I hook up with a lot. I and he's he's given me confidence to keep pushing forward on what I I I like. And on the flip side, if like a young Florida State student or somebody else who's not in the business comes to you and asks you for advice, what's the first thing you tell them? Like, like what is the advice? Like, like, like what? They, look at, the they look at you and they're like, how do I do what you do? Do what I do? How do like, I get your career? How do I... You just... How um, do I get on TV? How do I get in... What I've told... I, I had someone ask me that question recently. Because it's I, a common question. They, they want what you have. Yeah, and I, the only thing I can say is do what I... I I am of the controversial opinion that I don't believe in like a – I think it's good that comedy schools have helped a lot of people. I think UCB's helped a lot of people. I like the pit. I mean the pit is like our home, which right. has been great to us. Uh, but I don't really believe in comedy school. I think that what you should do is write stuff in a coffee shop and in a basement and then put yourself up in front of people and start failing. I think that's really the only way you can get anywhere is literally throw yourself right in the in the – waters with the sharks and get out of your small town literally go to new york go to los angeles get two other people that you like to do stuff and literally just start doing stuff because it's the positive action of putting that energy into the world that gets your gets the ball rolling for you i also believe there's a lot of magic in that i think there's a lot of uh it's manifesting something out of nowhere it's it's you're making your path for yourself and not asking someone to give you a green light. The only person that you need to give you a green light is you. Like you just you just go do it. And if you don't want it that bad, then maybe you shouldn't do it. <laughs> that's that's very that's very true. Yeah. And and there is something very magical about what you create on stage or on screen. Well, it's very and, nice uh, of you to say. So I I thank you for not quitting for Keeping love this. Keeping the I work. have no other skills. I have nothing else I could possibly do. But this this special is something that I am uh, I am almost too personally connected to it. It is a celebration of Murderfest. We got to do a Murderfest comedy special on Netflix. So I think it's going to be polarizing. <laughs> it is. It is. Have I, you seen it? I have seen it. I watched it earlier today. What do you think? I'm trying. Well, I wonder what's what you think is going to be the most offensive. Offensive, polarizing thing. Do you think it's that? I think that Jamji's funny, but I think that people will be upset about my character, Jamji. I think just the very nature of being in a face that is not your natural color I will inspire will inspire 
uh, divisions. I think it's cool. I think that we have a. Um, I don't want to spoil too much. Right. That's Jermaine right. Fowler plays Jesus Christ. He does, which I'm really excited for. And Aaliyah. Yes, <laughs> Aaliyah is also in the is in the, the special. As well. <laughs> so yes. Jermaine has a lot of range. As Jermaine well. <laughs> is very good. Jermaine's very. Do you like it's a small? It's a small group. I like that it's a small cast and it's just family. Yeah. It's just our our closest friends. Which is what I like about my my special is that it's just my sketch group and my sister, yeah, my girlfriend's in it. She plays m- uh, my mom as Riff Raff when I play Riff Raff. Okay, which I'm I l- also excited. I l- for people okay, to see. I love, and this is very specific to this special. I love uh, the scene when you uh, show up at the restaurant. Yes, that is the retrofitted boardroom. I, scene. I I love that there's one person in the restaurant who can't. Stop from laughing, and yet you you cut to him a couple times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everybody else is shocked, and there's one guy who's That's like, yeah. who's clearly who's clearly like, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. We also like him being. It's and, almost like erotically interesting. <laughs> He's like, what? What's <laughs> happening here? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. So. No. It, yeah. You're the only one who's seen it outside of my my small group of people. Oh well. Yeah. By the time people listen to this, probably everyone can see it because they it's can on Netflix. See it. Would you would you recommend that people see it, or are, they, are you afraid that there's going to be too many trigger warnings well, in I, my work? I think if people are familiar with you and your work, they know exactly they know, what they're going to get. They know what they're going to get. Yeah, 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 which I think to me is the most successful thing about our special, and probably everybody's special. It seems like everybody is. It, it is a very unique, probably foolish thing that Netflix thing has done. <laughs> that uh, we are, it is all, I mean, certain people are going to be more generally successful than others, I right. imagine, because their sentiment, their comedies works more towards that, where my comedy is immediately going to m- maybe tell you to go fuck yourself a little <laughs> bit. But I think that it's, it's okay. I think it's, I, I like that. But maybe with the Netflix algorithms, they'll figure that out and steer people to you. They, be- they have to. It's all if just you like-, like, do you like autopsy videos? You will like this video. Exactly. You know, it's, it's all stuff. Yeah, they told me originally. They're like, they were like, well, it's like you know, you're on NBC, so if people like Blacklist, they'll be led to the Henry Zabrowski special. I'm just being like, okay. <laughs> so people who like Blacklist are going to like my special. Okay. People sure. who like A to Z. Well, they're also, go- they're going to love your special, <laughs> which is also very interesting when I was doing A to Z and then they listen to last podcast on the left and they find out like who I really am, <laughs> who Stu really is as a person. You're not just the bearded best friend. No, no, I'm all happy go lucky comic yeah. relief. I've, I've, I'm pro- I have problems. Yes, but you've learned to laugh at them. Yes. And for that, I am grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Henry. Thank you. Hail Satan. <laughs> La- This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. Theme music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.